So I noticed this evening um, down at the teacher's quarter at 4.10, the sun went down. You know. So we're really in a, you know, you could say a, it is cosmologically, uh, um, I don't know, you know, we, we make up a lot of stuff and even the Gregorian calendar, New Year's, all that stuff is made up. But this is different, you know. It's an actual thing. Uh, kind of cosmic event that happens. And I always think this is a kind of a, for me, it's a kind of a big deal. And I'll tell you why. I was kind of born on the full moon. Uh, I had uh, two kids. Um, one was born on um, March the 21st, which is the uh, spring uh, equinox. Then I had a daughter that was born on the 21st of September, which is the fall equinox. And then I have a grandson born on June the 21st, summer. And then I have you for the winter solstice. You know, that's a lot of magic and one little thing, you know. So uh, tonight I'm going to start with just a, I kind of sat and I kind of, this is kind of my rambling, babbling uh, that supposedly keeps me on track, but, but I never trust it, you know. It's just uh, whatever happens. <laughs> At 8.28 this morning, our world stood still. The shortest day of the year. Noting how many of the trees had emptied themselves of their leaves. The earth, in its glorious silence, laid silent. Oh yes, we came to rest in that silence, knowing somehow that our curious past, with all its ferocity, was dragging us down, down, down into this restless seat. Oh, these teachings of respecting the power of the night and its long darkness, the infinite contraction when the fear grasps our sanity and throws us down the stairwell into the basement of our minds. How could this be about liberation? Struggling with the inevitability of change, these aging bodies. Yet there are these moments Yet there are these moments, small little cracks, where life begins to know itself. You are, you are more than your stories, or even your struggles. When the stillness of the dark is at its zenith, the light, the light has slipped under the carpet, giving us another chance. Redemption, redemption close at hand. Questing, questioning identity, these inherited and constructed views, having some of the world to turn itself inside out, turning the mind heart on itself, turning the mind heart on itself. Lo and behold, that primordial, natural, pure awareness which has been with you 
since birth, unblemished, was your home, was your home all along. So, you know, one of the pieces of all this is uh, ultimately, you know, we have to kind of go, in some sense, go through the darkness and uh, untangle uh, our tangles, you know. And I know for myself, you know, when I came to this, these practices in the 60s, I had a lot of darkness. You know, I, I remember one of the first, uh, uh, my first retreat was six weeks um, long, you know, in, in Bodh Gaya, India. And, uh, you know, I, I spent the first 10 days just reviewing, uh, you know, all the different things in my life. I didn't even have chronologically where I'd been, what I'd done, schools I'd been in. Uh, I went, had to go through chronologically through that. And then I had to touch uh, kind of my trauma and my suffering. And uh, so kind of the next 10 days, I just cried. You know, it was like, oh, I'd been running for so long, and I didn't even know it. You know, I'd, I'd come across, you know, in the 60s, um, just you think of, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, for a guy, uh, we had uh, the draft and, and Vietnam, and, and uh, the culture was in a total transition, and we had LSD, too, you know. So, you know... <laughs> Well, you know, uh, it was the times, you know. But there was a trajectory there that somehow, you know, uh, I felt like here in these times, and I'd grown up in Europe, I didn't fit here. And so that, that seeker, which all of you have, you know, had to take off looking, you know, and kind of trash myself, uh, you know, from... Uh, Europe to through Turkey, and I ended up busted in Turkey, and God knows, you know, and uh, it was just a mess, you know, and <laughs> Afghanistan, I was just stoned, you know, <laughs> and I could have told any president, you know, don't do, don't go there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not a good idea, you know, uh, but I did make it on to India, you know, and, and there, you know, was, was the seeker was, I, again, I was really fortunate in uh, the capacity to start uh, looking uh, at first kind of my own darkness and how uh, I remember one of the first retreats, I was like a little piece of steel, you know, and uh, I was really good at yoga and, and, and uh, you know, I was about this thick in those days. Now I'm kind of like that. But, you know, in those days. But what I found when I sat was there was this incredible tension in my belly. I just, it was like a, a solid piece of rock. And that every time I put my mind there and tried to touch it, there would be this phenomenal reaction. You know, I would run. You know, oh, no, I don't go there. You know, it's fine. I'll go to my nose and watch my breath. That's okay. But like everything, this practice, you know, it's here to undo you. You know, you spend all this time kind of building up uh, who you think you are. And, uh, you know, our job is here. We're, we're here to bust it, you know, truthfully, you know. 
we're here to kind of untangle that on some level. And so the process here is you have to go through that. You know, uh, it's unfortunate, but it is, uh, you know, it's not uh, one of my teachers. You know, when I first came to uh, India and I was living in Nepal, I lived there for a couple of years at the beginning. And one of the things was he, he is, Lama Tupanyeshi had this great kind of line of like, um, he said, John, you're, you're kind of looking in the wrong place. And really what I'd come, the culture I'd come out of, uh, maybe this is LSD, I don't know. But anyway, it was all about transcendence. You know, I wanted to get out of here. It was just so problematic and it was such a mess and I didn't even want to look at, you know, my past or anything about it. It was like, oh my God, that's a train wreck, you know? And, um, and so he said, you know, you, you got it kind of wrong. And it's really the fundamentals of this practice. And we were up overlooking, and in those days, Kathmandu was really just a big rice field, you know, and um, out in Boda above it. And um, he said, you know, what you got wrong, you think you have to go out. And he, he, he said something was, you know, it was one of those little, sometimes little motions. And he said, oh, no, John, you have to go through, you know. And so I began that. You're here doing, going through that process, you know, of going through, you know. So there is that untangling that happens, but there's also, and really what I want to kind of uh, venture into tonight are kind of the aspects of, uh, of liberation, of uh, you know, why, why do we do this stuff? And what, what are the kind of, uh, what are the things that kind of support this happening? So there, there was kind of, uh, Donald had his five things about going to the darkness and Heather had her five things. So I got my five things, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, and these are fundamental to the process of liberation. You know, uh, and, and it's, this is not one of, you know, I love Buddhist lists. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a book of just uh, Buddhist numbers of lists, you know. But this, uh, this isn't in there. But it, it's relevant to what we're doing. And so they're really the five things are really to explore here. Uh, the first one uh, is, is kind of, it, you know, we know it intellectually. But this is the thing that's revealed in the practice, which is, this whole truth of impermanence, you know, and the word is anicca and uh, in Pali. Uh, and we have to, uh, you know, from, go from the intellectual side of it to go down into it. So there is impermanence. So we're going to go through the look at the kind of liberation through impermanence. There is liberation through the body, you know, that it is uh, also a very fundamental process here. And, you know, whatever works for you tonight in these different things. Uh, The third one is liberation of views and opinions. You know about those? Yeah, okay. You know, so our views and opinions about things. And then the fourth one is, uh, you know, in some ways, um, it it is about... um, kind of looking at this thing called self uh, from different aspects here. So that's another liberating of the parts about the self. 
And then the fifth one, uh, which uh, kind of is my favorite piece and what I'm really pointing at, uh, is, is a word called awareness, you know? And it is something that, um, uh, in a sense, it's self-liberating. It's something that's there. But without us really knowing about it or understanding it, or even though we live in it, um, it also has this incredible quality of liberation. You know. So you got it? We got impermanence. We have the body. We have views and opinions. We have the self, and we have awareness, okay? So, uh, impermanence, this word anicca. And uh, it is, in essence, uh, it is, uh, you know, it's the obvious, and it's also, this is incredibly deep, you know, uh, simply because the way our minds work is that uh, one thing uh, we know whether it's through math, physics, biology, everything's changing, you know? Uh, we know it, we see it in nature, we have it that way, uh, but we really don't know it, you know? Why? Because the kind of the foundation, the nature of your mind, and the nature of your mind, even though there is some sense in understanding that, oh, everything is impermanent, that's an understanding, it's not an insight. And so what happens here is, uh, what is the mind doing? It's taking the senses, you're seeing, you're hearing, you're smelling, you're thinking, uh, all the sense doors. And uh, it's solidifying uh, your experience. You know? So what is it? You're stabilizing what you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you taste, what you, your sensations and your thoughts. They are, in some sense, uh, you, your nature is to solidify them to feel safe. It's okay, but it's what your mind does to actually not uh, get uh, the truth of this flow or this uh, truth about change and impermanence. You know? So we're in constant kind of, we're, um, you know, it's kind of a deception. And part of that deception is we solidify things and then oh, we kind of hold them at, for what they are. You know? So we walk around in a completely phen you know, phenomena of, uh, uh, it's almost like a, a river of uh, material that's arising and passing away at incredible speeds. And though that speed is uh, something that in some ways, it's like death. You don't, you know, we don't like to do much about that, you know. But, you know, uh, I said this afternoon in a group, you know, it's, it's Steve Levine had this thing. Uh, uh, it, was a, it was a workshop on death and dying. He said, how many people are going to die? You know, and half raised their hands, you know. <laughs> but, the, but this is also true about impermanence. It's, it's exactly the same thing, you know. Um, we kind of understand it intellectually, but we don't get it on a visceral level, which is what we're doing in the practice. And what I can say about this is when we begin to see here, you know, there, just explain how things happen and uh, a bit of the speed of it. There is consciousness. And consciousness is like, it's like the candle. It flickers at tremendous speeds. And then 
uh, it attaches itself to a sense door. So you, you're hearing me. Oh, so that consciousness is connected to that hearing. But how long is it? And then you, you scratch your butt. No, I guess that's not. But, you know, whatever, something happens, and the next thing you know, you're no longer hearing. I know that, you know. And um, what? The consciousness has moved to another sense door, you know. And then it kind of moves again. And, no, it's seeing the room or seeing us sitting up here. You know, it is constantly in flux, you know. And yet it has the semblance of... Uh, solidity and permanence, you know. And so our practice is, is really over and over again, in a sense, um, uh, recognizing that the power here is that when you really get uh, that things are impermanent and uh, that there is uh, no safety uh, in the senses and the mind uh, solidifying things, that really what the learning here is that, oh, do I have the power uh, to truly uh, keep recognizing this power to let go? You know, that's really all it is. It's the power, oh, I don't have to buy this, you know? And that's, your, that's by the way, your story, your, all your stuff, you know? And, um, you know, oh, can I live a life like that? Well, you'll be a lot happier. You know, the Buddha talked about if you understand this simple principle, you know, and get it on a visceral level, uh, that uh, the kind of the need to attach and cling to things, uh, we can say it's lessened or minimized, you know. And knowing that, you'll be better off, you know. You know, I could go on and on about this, but I, I, I'm going to move into one other thing, just for those of you who've been uh, doing this for a while, because I always think um, this is such a pivotal understanding, and that ultimately, and if you've ever heard about Buddhism that talks about emptiness, that impermanence actually uh, is the doorway uh, to uh, you know emptiness uh, in Buddhist terms, which you know, from Western uh, dialectic or language, it's a little tricky because it has a negative. And really, from a Buddhist point of view, uh, it's simply saying because everything is impermanent, it's always changing, that there is an infinite potential. And that's really kind of the translation of the word of emptiness is it's infinite potential. You, you know... Um, Anything can appear out of anything, you know? It's a magic, you know? Uh, and, and, and it does work like that, you know? So I just wanted to touch on that, because I'm sure many of you, if you read stuff, uh-oh, you know? Uh, you know, one of my, my teachers, first two years, he, he told me not to read anything. You know, and that was really great, you know? He said, just practice. You know, and I really, he was, he was a great teacher. I took him for his word. And I didn't read anything, and I realized, oh, what this process was, that I had to learn these fundamentals uh, uh, towards liberation. And when I began to really understand uh, somewhat, you know, I'm still working on this, by the way. This is a continual process, because my mind still wants to freeze everything. 
and, uh, and somehow uh, make it solid uh, and real, you know. And yet the other part of me is uh, disassembling, you know, and so much of this is about disassembling. So we have the impermanence, and it can go to letting, ultimately letting go of all of this, uh, seen, smell, taste, hear, uh, all of it. And it happens somewhere, you know. And so uh, you're all walking around uh, in these uh, bodies. And when we say, oh, these bodies actually uh, liberation doesn't happen outside of it, by the way. It happens in the body. You know, it is actually part of a open process uh, that uh, gives us permission, in some sense, uh, to free ourselves. When we have understood and had some insight into uh, the changing nature of things, and we have truly learned to let go, then we have a place, you know. These practices are essentially somatic practices. They simply deal uh, uh, with the training of uh, staying. Uh, The breath is an obvious you know, in the sense that the word vipassana or vipassana or vipassana, um, it is sometimes translated as, as uh, to see uh, into, uh, sometimes they say special seeing or sometimes uh, into uh, truth or reality. Uh, but I actually like the translation of seeing into the subtle. And so that's why not everybody's here. You know, not everybody comes to this stuff, you know. Why? Because it's actually, you, it's seeing into the subtle. And we begin to see into the subtle, and then that begins to, in a sense, uh, illuminate. Uh, even though we have to go somewhat, and we've been talking about this, kind of go through the kind of the dark night of the soul um, to see how we suffer and get caught. But those, that is the process. Uh, the kind of result is this truth of, um, you know, whenever we get afraid or we get uh, anxious, uh, what do you do? You go up, you know? Uh, you go up, up, you know? And you kind of get into, I think it's called your head, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and immediately, uh, you know, a lot of times you're somewhere else. You're not here. And these practices are all, all, no, you know, I am actually, this is a process of embodiment. So I'm actually bringing attention and I'm training myself over and over. It, you know, the simple thing of the breath and the breath kind of then reveals that, uh, and this is a setup for discomfort. You know that. We didn't tell you that before, but, you know, um, it's a setup for that. And you begin then to investigate, you know, oh, Look at that. Okay, there's my breath, and then oh, that 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 doesn't feel good. Oh wait, uh, if I stay, and uh, actually, if you stay and you explore uh, the body, uh, you know there is kind of the identification and in my injuries and my will, you know, sicknesses and all this stuff. This is uh, really 
uh, more about a neutral state, that we begin to investigate uh, the body, uh, as, uh, which I'll talk about later tonight, uh, about the elements uh, of earth, air, water, and fire. Uh, these are uh, manifestations or qualities of experience uh, that are the body itself. You know, so we have uh, as qualities, and I, and one of the things is uh, our process here is to take the I, me, mine out of it, and to experience the body uh, as these qualities. So there's uh, the earth element. Oh, that's you know heaviness and lightness, and we could call. Oh, I feel that. So I don't have to put identity on that. I simply know it in the body for what it's experienced as. You know. The same way when there's a lot of vibration or tingling in your body, you know, sometimes uh, people come to these practices and their body kind of shakes and tingles and all sorts of things. It's the air element, just the air elements kind of moving through. And it's, it's again, not I, me, mine. It's just a quality of experience, you know. And so we're actually, in a sense, kind of taking the, that, uh, you know, the identity and the storytelling uh, and out of it. In the same way that there is, uh, sometimes there's, uh, in the body, there's a, you know, cohesion or a sense of fluidity that we know is the water element. And we can actually just simply know it for what it is, you know, just for what it is, uh, which is a quality. And the quality has one nature. Uh, it doesn't last very long. They, everything is in this flux. And sometimes we don't believe that, you know, but it, it's true. Uh, and then we have, you know, the fire element. And the fire element is all based on the fact uh, that uh, we feel heat and we feel cold, you know. And, uh, and all these qualities of experience uh, make up uh, our body and how we can hold it uh, uh, without creating more suffering. So in a sense, uh, these are, it's a liberating tool, like impermanence, you know. So, you got it? No. It's so, uh, I think it's so neat that, you know, if you really learn to put your attention in your body, uh, one of the beauties of it is that if you can train yourself to do that, you know, and you're in the supermarket and, you know, somebody pulls in front of you and you've got to be at an appointment and, you know, and suddenly there's this huge contraction, you know. Uh, it's wonderful to be able to have trained yourself instead of, you know, blame and, uh, you know, maybe I've got to go, I've got to, you know. Instead of doing that, you actually put your attention in your body and you go, oh, you know, these are the qualities of experience. And the whole kind of system uh, uh, from the practice's point of view of being embodied uh, softens, you know? Good, good thing, you know? It's one of the great qualities of uh, having the body as your, you know, as your barometer uh, for life, you know? And also the other thing is, you know, thinking is so damn fast. You notice that? Just like zoom, you're gone. But if, if you actually are able to keep some of your attention in your body, 
uh, there's a, a space. So it actually gives you some space between the time uh, you think and uh, you, you, know, you go, oh, wait, wait, no, I'm just here. I can feel this. Uh, I'm not going to go anywhere. You know? So you don't hop on the train of association. Uh, you actually just kind of feel into what's here. And it's given you that little space uh, to not go back to, you know, it's a really perpetual habit, you know, uh, a kind of a disembodiment, you know. So um, the third one is a little more, in some ways, uh, is uh, more complicated because it has to do with the uh, reflection and thinking. And it has to do with views and opinions, you know? And one of the things to recognize is that we are all conditioned creatures. And so what is the conditioning? The conditioning is, you know, uh, from your culture, your ethnicity, uh, your uh, sexual preference, your, all these things are conditions. And now I haven't even spoken about your parents, your genetics, uh, your school, your friends. Uh, this is all conditioning that have uh, created uh, the, in that collective these views and opinions about things. We get in a lot of trouble over this, you know. And so, in a sense, the liberating uh, possibility here, because what happens with views and opinions is uh, we create uh, a thing called uh, judgment, I think you know about this, you know? And you, uh, you actually create this tremendous amount of, of um, oh, it's all f fear, energetics, um, right and wrong, good and bad, you know, all of that is created in this views and opinions, which then manifest as these judgments and these judgments, which all come out of conditioning, uh, you know, uh, create... Uh, suffering, you know, uh, for ourselves and others. So what is, the, what is it, the liberation of uh, kind of views and opinions? You know, first, I, I just have to speak about your conditioning, you know? And um, gosh, you know, I think back, and you know, as a little kid, you know, maybe two, three years old, you were such a sweet kid. You know, little kids, you know? I mean, yeah, they... They don't have the wisdom, but, uh, you know, um, there is a, a just incredible kind of sweetness to it. And uh, culturally, you know, I, I spend time in, and we, I, I spend a lot of time in India and Thailand and Burma. And, you know, uh, one thing about the kids is that there isn't, uh, you know, they're pretty free-flowing kids, you know? There isn't, they aren't, imposed on so much. But one of the uh, truths of our culture here, um, you know, we're, we're really a culture of excellence, which, you know, there's a good thing about this, but also it's a difficult part of, uh, of kind of freedom or liberation on some sense. I mean, you look, all you want to do is be loved, you know? But then, you know... Uh, and um, to excuse your parents, you know, but they wanted you to be uh, better, the best, better than them, you know. So 
they um, kind of caught you in believing somehow if you did something, you would be loved. You know that one? You know, oh, so potty train, you know, uh, all the things, and, and it sets you up. It sets you up first for comparison. And when you're looking at views and opinions and then the judgments, it, it comes out of comparison. So first, be nice to yourself. You know, this is, the, this is kind of the conditioning that you kind of came in with. And that uh, then, of course, you, you wanted to be loved, so um, you uh, performed. Uh, good kid, you know. And, but in that process, you abandoned yourself. You know, believing somehow, and if you guys figured this out yet, you know, that maybe if you ban yourself, you love somebody, they'll love you back. Guess what? Doesn't work so well, you know, sometimes. But, uh, you know, uh, actually what happens is that uh, usually we, uh, we're disappointed uh, because uh, it doesn't happen like that. Uh, you can't l- love somebody uh, when uh, you're kind of inner critic or judge. Uh, is holding you, you know. So we try. We do our best, you know. But the process here is beginning to see that how that those views and opinions, which later become judgments, and have come from this. Uh, you know, simple thing. I just wanted to be loved. And, uh, but I set up a comparison and then I set up, you know, these bars for myself that were, you know, if it was that high, then I had to make it that high. And then suddenly it became this whole evolutionary process which was ripping you off of a simple truth, you know. And that simple truth was, uh, you don't have to be somebody else, you know? Can you just be yourself? Is that okay? Is that all right? You know? And can you learn to love yourself for who you are, uh, not what you should be or could be, you know? And that's really that the whole piece around liberation from the kind of views, opinions, judgments, and ultimately kind of the comparing mind, you know? You'll be working on this for a while, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's amazing how, if we go back to that little kid, just, you know, if, just a simple thing, you know, this, you know, there's metta practice, it's kind of a doing thing, but there's also a being practice of uh, just recognizing that the heart knows itself, you know. And it still has that little kid there uh, that has loved you all along, you know, uh, that you principally, uh, you abandoned, you know. And that part of the job here is to come back into your wholeness, to bring all these parts together and recognize um, that your kind of judgments and your uh, comparisons and criticisms um, are, are really coming out of a con- conditioned state. Uh, they are not coming out of an open, 
and free state. And we're trying to get, in the sense of liberating, is getting to that free and open state. No. So uh, the next piece here, you know, this is a little complicated uh, about the self, unfortunately. You know, uh, Dogen, uh, the kind of the founder of the Soto Zen school, uh, this is a great, I always kind of carry this, and this is paraphrased in some ways. It's, you know, to study the self is to know the self. To know the self is to let go of the self, okay? To know the self, to study the self, is to let go of the self. So, first of all, you know, it's kind of this uh, dualistic world where we're kind of the center of the world. And um, it's interesting because in that uh, we, it's so interesting, the, the fact that we can so easily uh, inflate and deflate who we think we are. You know this? You know, it's like one minute I'm a hero and the next minute I'm a, you know, terrible. Um, and so these, these are all parts of the comparison, you know. And they actually, uh, in a sense, um, the Buddha was, I thought it was great, his explanation, you know, about the self um, was that there is the kind of inflation, uh, there's the deflation, um, and there's also, so uh, better than, worse than, the same as. And he said, oh, these are all wrong. The same as uh, is also. Because again, it's still a dualism. It's com- it's, it, there is the comparing mind there. And what we're trying to do is actually liberation is, in some sense, dissolve the power of the comparison and start living uh, in a way that is, um, you know, uh, Donald, the fourth one in the sense of the not knowing uh, is such a profound part of this practice, like not knowing, you know, oh, you know, I don't know. And, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Sanzanim's don't know mind, you know, uh, if you can kind of keep that refrain, you don't know. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, kind of way of not uh, contracting and creating suffering for yourself and others, you know. So a lot of times when you kind of talk about the self, there, in the kind of, partic- particularly in the Tibetan tradition, there's some part of that I've come out of that was, you know, uh, the fact that there were what is known as the two truths, and one of the truths is simply that there is a relative self. You know? And that relative self, by the way, uh, I just think of it as this neurotic, uh, uh, habitual uh, self that is, uh, is lost in comparisons and really needs the precepts and, and uh, has to really be careful in the relative world. And we work with that. You know? But there's also... Uh, in the Tutus is the fact that the Buddha was pointing at uh, that there wasn't anything, there wasn't any continuity, uh, a solid sense of self. So it was something that was relative, that was arising, like consciousness, uh, to the sense doors. 
So it simply was, uh, in a sense, uh, rising with each moment uh, in the comparative mind. You know, so it was, in the sense, the duality itself was created by that. You know, and uh, the thing the Buddha was interested—he wasn't so interested in the relative, you know—in that way. He was interested more in uh, freedom and what was um, non-clinging. Uh, and what was, uh, in a sense, uh, you know, he used this word nibbana, something that was uh, free of conditioning, you know. And we're such uh, small habitual creatures, you know, we're, we're really um, kind of caught and addicted uh, in a very simple process. And that process is that um, when there's pleasantness, I attach to it, you know? Not only do I attach to it, I create incredible, uh, you know, I want to imprison it, I want to reproduce it, I want to keep it, I want to do everything with that pleasantness, you know? And then on the other side of it, of course, uh, that's only one side of the story. The other side of the story is unpleasant, you know? I experience it, you know, I, I want to get rid of, go away from well, is great Ajahn Chah used to say, you know, what is that? Well, that is the war. You know, uh, this pendulum that's swinging all the time back and forth, that's really uh, our, uh, our will and our energy is to keep the pleasant. And our will and our energy is to keep the unpleasant away. So in that is a tremendous amount of combat, you know. And yet, and yet, and this is an image I've just used for years, is there is this zero point that, that it's always passing over, you know, uh, as this kind of pendulum swings between pleasantness and unpleasantness. Uh, and it is something that because there's, the, the other has charge on it, you know. It's like, wow, pleasant, you know. And we kind of get a charge off of it. Unpleasantness, we get a charge off of it. But here, the Buddha was pointing at something, and it, you can say it's really subtle. It was this point that was not, and I like kind of the zero point, you know? And that that zero point uh, is not visible uh, because it doesn't have a charge. And so why we have to come and we have to sit and kind of, you know, really get quiet and kind of watch how all this works is that we're kind of passing that zero point all the time. And then we start seeing that, oh, what's the quality when there isn't the wanting and when there isn't pushing away? What is the quality there? And the simple word is peace. And that's really what the Buddha is trying to teach. He teach, oh, peace is available when you're not struggling for and against things. You know? and, uh, and this was the great message of the Buddha, uh, that that zero point, which he referred to as you couldn't, it couldn't be anything. You know, it can't be anything. It is simply, he called it nibbana, which, uh, you know, in a sense, um, not something. It's actually the lack of anything. And so it's really difficult to see because, you know, we want some enlightenment that, you know, Chogim Trumpa said, the ultimate and final disappointment is enlightenment. <laughs> you know, from the ego's point of view. Yes. You know, so uh, we have this zero point and, and we're passing over it. And here we start to go, oh, 
oh, I, you know, I kind of just had a little inkling of where I wasn't in this war, this struggle for and against things, you know. And I hope that's really uh, what you're kind of, uh, in a sense, touching here. And that's really, it, it is kind of, uh, and he was interested because that's, you know, then that is the place where, you know, uh, you can use the word absolute or, you know, uh, I don't even know what the words are, you know. Uh, but you know what you know what the relative is, you know, and you know uh, there is, in a sense, um, something outside of that, you know. And it may just simply be the whole, the whole universe, you know, as it is. So then, the third, uh, the, what, where are we, five pieces? The fifth piece, okay. And this is kind of, a, it's, it's, to me, once you start getting the zero point, and you start understanding that, you know, you always have a choice of peace, and uh, of non-struggle, and that uh, you put, and even though it's not visible, you, start, you know it by feeling and you start, in a sense, attending to it, then there's something that uh, has always held this. And that is basically this uh, really, uh, this pure, unhindered um, awareness that was something that you were born with. It's been there all the time. But it's like the zero point. You just didn't notice it, you know. And so right now, you can kind of, know that you can't, by the way, I would like you to get rid of awareness. Can you do that right now? Just get rid of it. See if you can just, no, I, I'm not going to do it. You know? Well, you'll find it has been with you all the time. And the other thing, you know, I, I think sometimes now in my 70s, I go, oh, uh, from my awareness point of view, I'm 30 years old. You know? And I'd probably be 30 years old till I die. You know? But it's actually... <laughs> You know, I don't know. But anyway, it is the truth that awareness is out of time. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't hold time. So therefore, there is a tremendous amount of freedom that exists that was never, you know, it's, it's like all the crap you've done and all the, you know, messy things that have happened. It, it never did anything to the awareness. The awareness has always been in its total purity, you know, and it's been there uh, supporting your life. Uh, and the ideals here is when we kind of slow down the stop and we begin to feel and see and understand the kind of the workings of all this, then there is this great relief uh, to realize that, um, you know, there is a knowing that's outside of time. Uh, and its nature uh, is freedom. It's complete, you know. It's like, now it can't be in time. But it's always available to you. And I encourage you, because part of, you know, one of the things is the mindfulness, in a sense, can uh, eventually kind of bleeds into the awareness. And it's like, oh, you know, 
oh, I see it. Uh, and maybe there isn't such a difference in some ways, except for uh, one is, a, is somewhat contracted and the other one is just, you know, oh, wow, you know, guess what? I'm free, you know, I'm free from my past. I don't give a toot about the future, you know, uh, what I have uh, is complete, you know, and that completeness, uh, and, and if you start relying more and more, it's like that zero point, you start relying uh, on this kind of open, this pure awareness that's there. You know, they use a lot of times the images of, you know, uh, of uh, either the ocean or the, or the sky. And this is sky, uh, you know, it's vast. And, uh, you know, clouds come through and sometimes uh, the sky gets covered, but it's always there. In the same way, when you get all tied up and hung up, uh, that blue sky, that awareness is always present. You know? And so sometimes it's just as you kind of, uh, and you can't really keep it, by the way. It's just something that due to causing, it arises moment for moment. But if you begin to kind of recognize that, that uh, has uh, this uh, freedom that is already inherent in it, you don't have to, you don't have to do any work for this. You know, uh, you were born with it. You'll die with it. You know. But you can begin to rely on it more and more. Like, oh, I'm caught up. Oh, you know what? Uh, I can choose to just be here. Uh, and I'm not going to go to, you know, comparison views and opinions. I'm not going to, uh, like, somehow uh, be reacting to my body or, uh, you know, uh, I may see things uh, solid in some way. But I can go, oh, no, I have this. And you all have it, you know. It's kind of cool. You didn't ha- I didn't have to, you know, we don't charge for this. It's, it's you know, it just, uh, it's with the territory. So you are fortunate. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that with you. Um, we'll do a little bit more in the morning about playing with the sky of mind. So at 8.28 this morning, our world stood still. The shortest day of the year, noting how many of the trees had emptied themselves of their leaves. The earth, in its glorious silence, lay silent. Oh yes, we came to rest in that silence, knowing somehow that the curious past, with all its ferocity, was dragging us down, down onto this restless seat. Oh, these teachings of respecting the power of the night and its long darkness, that infinite contraction where the fear grasps our sanity and throws us down the stairwell into the basement of our minds. How could this be about liberation? Struggling with the inevitability of change in an aging body, Yet there are, yet there are these moments, small little cracks, where life begins to know itself. You are more than your stories and even your struggles. 
when the stillness of the dark is at its zenith, the light has slipped, has slipped under the carpet, giving us another chance. Redemption, redemption close at hand. Questioning identity, these inherited and constructed views. Having done some of the work to turn yourself inside out. Turning the mind heart, the mind heart on itself. Lo and behold, that primordial, natural, pure awareness, which has been with you ever since birth, unblemished, was your home all along. Just sit for a moment. So there's time for walking now, and uh, we will ring the bell in about uh, 20 minutes to come back. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.